This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 100. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hey yo, welcome to episode 100. Um, a lot of podcasters say they can't believe it, they're at episode 100, and I'd be lying if I'd say that. I had no doubt in my mind that positive psychology is interesting enough to do at least 100 episodes, so here we are. Um, I asked the Facebook group what they wanted to do for the 100th episode, and people are in the mood for having a little fun. They uh, peppered me with a lot of silly questions. Some of them also serious, so no worry about it. Yet I couldn't bring myself to just do an episode answering uh, questions only, um, especially since a lot of them are about me. And uh, yeah, I just felt like I wanted to do something else, but I have to be super honest. I think I felt the pressure of the 100th uh, weirdly quite a bit. I put it off for a long, long time. And at some point, I just had to say, you know what, (laughs) screw that. Just do something. It doesn't matter what it is. 100th has to come out so that we can do 101 and all the ones beyond. So today I want to look at beyond the silly questions, which will be answered (laughs) at the end of the episode. Um, I want to take a step back and look at the underlying ideas that have powered a lot of the concepts that we rely on. And this is not necessarily about positive psychology in itself, but I because I think these ideas are also valid to other kinds of self-development. But I think they are really the kind of the key ideas which which make self-development possible, which power it, and also make sure that you can progress in a, in a way that's, you know, healthy and not just power forward and then feel uh, dead and empty inside. So this is not somebody's framework. This is what I have distilled, just to be clear on it. And, um, you know, as always, there are a lot of ideas in here. Uh, you can take whatever works for you. So the first of this these ideas is... Um, the variety of realities. So whenever we inhabit our little brain and our little world, uh, it just seems like there is just this one reality and nothing else exists. And our brain is very good at doing this because I think if if we would be aware of 17 different realities as at any given point, most of us would just go crazy and it would be really hard to focus on what we're trying to do. However, that means that if we are caught in a reality that is less than healthy and constructive for us, um, our brain makes it very convincing that that's the only thing that exists. So it's important to seek out evidence that other ways of doing things help us. Um, They help us to be less rigid. And this is important, frankly, the unhappier you are. You know, if you are happy, if life is going in a good way and and people around you respect you're not living, um, you know, on top of other people, so to speak, you know, like having them sacrifice their well-being. So you're doing great. As long as that's not happening and you're you're fine, you're happy and you have your ups and downs, but they're not nothing, you know, terrible, then it's fine. You know, maybe maybe it's not that necessary to challenge um, the reality you inhabit because it's already sufficiently um, open and flexible. However, if 
if you notice that just living inside of your brain is really very, very depressing, um, that it's horrible, um, in that case, I would really invite you to seek out information that um, kind of helps you see how other realities are constructed. So one way of doing that is, for example, if you speak two or more languages, um, you kind of intuitively start to understand how the understanding of the world is kind of hard-coded into language. Now you could say, well, that's good for you, you're sitting in Switzerland, but the kind of experience I'm talking about, you you know, you could learn just a couple of words in another language um, to kind of see how different things are, you know, how differently a language thinks, you know, like you, you don't have to study it 15 years to to notice that. Traveling is another way of exposing yourself to another culture, provided that you leave your hotel and actually listen to locals and not just um, encounter them in things like, uh, you know, selling context or something. I mean, if somebody's trying to sell you something, they'll tell you anything you want to hear. Cool thing is if you if you just happen to be in the same hanging hanging out in the same spot as they are and can really witness what they're doing. And um, again, I can see how that might not be possible for everyone, but um, another way to do that might be watching documentaries, for example. But even there, you have to be careful because people uh, tend to filter things through whatever lens um, they believe in, which makes sense. I, I'm doing that right now. But um, if they agree too much with your worldview, especially if it's a very frightened worldview, then maybe that's not that helpful. So that's one thing. Uh, we're already making daily choices about the reality we strengthen, whether we realize it or not. And I think that's super important. It sounds like something lofty, something philosophical. Who has time to examine their reality except, you know, um, philosophy students who have nothing better to do than do that and drink. And um, to a certain degree, I understand that, that, you know, if you're busy and making money and stuff that you might not see the point in that. But it's kind of, um, if you think about it, your brain is really the machine that you take around everywhere and you can't get rid of it. So if it, if it's really working on a, let's say on a software that just makes everything that you experience more negative, I would argue that it makes sense to examine that software and see if you can come up uh, with with a couple of fixes to that. Um, building a modified reality doesn't mean that we have to throw out everything we ever learned, all right? So I'm not telling you all your fears are wrong or all your fears are bad. What we're talking about is that we put them into context, that we maybe re-evaluate if they deserve the space we give them. And most, in, in most cases, the answer is no. You know, in most cases, um, yes, there is a lot of stuff going on that might not be cool. But, uh, and if you can do something, by all means do something. Um, I want to be very clear on the fact that everything that I talk about does not preclude that we take action when we can and when we should, all right? But what I'm saying is that very often there are things going on that we cannot change um, or, or that, we, that we simply do not um, enjoy what is going on. And in those cases, we have to understand that every day that we keep making the same choices we have in the past is a day where we will not change for the better. And, and no better change can come, frankly. That's, that's the thing. Like, like, it cannot be better 
if we don't change that faulty software, so to speak. Um, we have to keep the things that serve us. We have to learn to temporarily act in line with new assumptions. And we understand that every time we engage with this new, maybe more constructive reality, we make it stronger regardless of the short-term results, regardless of whether you feel a little bit uncomfortable or maybe it doesn't give you the dividends you expect in the first you know, two or three days. Keep at it. That's all I can say. Another key concept is awareness. Now, change of any sort is incredibly unlikely without awareness. And if change happens without awareness, it, it comes from the outside. Um, so building the ability to become self-aware makes it more likely that we succeed at whatever change we are aiming for. We can't necessarily dictate what thoughts enter our head. I mean, you know, sometimes we have weird thoughts or thoughts that we wish, wish we wouldn't, but we can decide what stays in our head, what we permit to just hang out there for a, lo for a longer time. Learning to master a significant part of our attention is vital. Um, the world is set up to distract us. You know, perpetual distraction is not promising when it comes to achieving change that you want. It achieves change that other people want, and that change that they want is usually your attention and or your wallet. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just the way it is. Um, what screams the loudest is often designed to give you a short-term emotional experience. But long-term emptiness, directing our attention to things that make us think better thoughts or feel a whole spectrum of emotion and foster constructive behaviors, it's what actually leads to sustainable satisfaction. Um, the intensity of our awareness is also important, becoming better at intensifying positive states and dampening negative states without losing the ability to draw the very necessary conclusions because we don't feel bad usually for no good reason. And if we feel bad for no good reason, that's, that's an awareness that we can use to literally change our mind in that moment. Um, the duration of our awareness is also a topic. So the ability to permit intentional things to stay in our head, heart, or body longer than unintentional things. That is one of the key concepts of change. Another key aspect underlying almost everything we talk about is mindset. Um, it matters because it regulates what we envision, what we hope for, what we start, how long we keep going, and how we respond to setbacks. Um, like awareness, it's a core ingredient of whatever we try to do, and improving our mindset therefore leads to disproportional leverage. Um, the goal is not a perfect growth mindset, although if you achieve that, you know, mazel tov to you. The goal is to become mentally flexible in a way that we can use the mindset that is most helpful for the situation we are in. You know, it sounds ridiculous, but a growth mindset might not always be the best thing you know if somebody is is if we are maybe taking care of someone and and they're in mourning and we're like look at the bright side and look what you can learn from it those things are all true but there might not be the thing that person needs to hear in that moment so i'm really big fan of mental flexibility um what mindset does is that it makes 
us really believe that change is possible. We might have wildly different attitudes about whether change is possible depending on our previous experiences. Um, If nobody you know is financially stable, it's hard to truly believe that you could ever be, right? And if nobody you know is mentally healthy, the idea that you could be at peace with yourself might seem preposterous, right? So change almost always comes with unlearning things that hinder us. And this is not just true um, for people who maybe come from slightly more disadvantaged backgrounds. This is true for all of us. All of us have things that we have to unlearn, things that are in our way um, in terms of mindset. And if we understand that previous experiences don't necessarily predict the future outcome all the time, we can hopefully move past it. Another important thing is the idea of process and the ability to forget outcomes and to just put in the work. Um, If we keep checking for our desired results every five minutes, we are more likely to give up. Instead, we need to value the process. Um, Imagine if you only liked the end of a song or a movie. Being able to enjoy the whole thing is what makes it time well spent. Right, And if we learn to appreciate things such as sore muscles, confusion, or responding to difficulties, we are much more likely to succeed than if we just like the cherry on the top of everything. It's, you know, innate in process thinking is this idea that the long term matters more than the short term, uh, the, the, the centrality of, of patience. Patience is a big stumbling block. Um, for all of us when on our on our personal growth journeys when things don't turn out the way we want in a time that frame that we envision um, it's not that easy to persist so the ability to notice progress to maintain motivation is really important and it's a it's a marker of progress right so if we're able to feel ease that means that we have progressed and that's an important thing in yourself look for the times when something is easier or less stressful now than it was two or three weeks ago. That's a sign of progress, even though it's not a loud one. Uh, So is speed, right? Um, If you are able to do things just more quickly, even if you haven't learned all the things you have to learn, um, speed is also an outcome of of progress. So we don't have to consciously try to become faster. It's a natural consequence of being good at something. It's easy to get frustrated uh, if we get mad, for example, even though we have meditated for a year, you know, why am I still getting mad? And the important thing is, does your anger last as long as it used to? Is it as intense as it used to be? These are all markers of progress. And the better you are at seeing small little markers of progress in yourself and also in others, the more likely you are to stick to new habits and behaviors which are constructive and helpful. Another incredibly important concept is to work with what we have. To have gratitude for what we were given, accepting where we are and starting there instead of bemoaning the fact that we're not as good as somebody else or that we wasted a decade or three. Um, It doesn't matter. Acknowledging feelings we have without the necessity to escape or suppress them. Embracing our strengths. Letting go of what we don't have or can't do. 
and understanding the idea of multiple channels in terms of acceptance. So there's always, almost never, just one way or one option in life. Whenever you feel that way, you can be almost entirely sure that that means that you need to widen um, your scope. You need to take a step back and look at the big picture because there are really not that many things where there's just one option and nothing else. Um, If you're stuck with one thing, you can keep going on. Focus on something else. You know, self-development is a huge area. Positive psychology is a huge area. If, for example, you struggle with meditation, well, then just move on to something else instead of wasting months thinking um, why you're so flawed that you can't master meditation. You know, who cares? If you, in that time, throw yourself into, I don't know, uh, discovering your humor habits or um, becoming better at playing or uh, becoming better at gratitude. The, the meditation stuff might, you know, you might come back to it with new resources that you didn't have when you started out. Um, the approaches I talk about are mostly about changing our brain. Um, But we can also learn things by engaging with them physically or through experiences. And that's very important. Um, For me, most change happens through my brain. (laughs) Most most paths usually go through my brain. Uh, That doesn't mean everything goes through my brain. But but that's kind of the majority of my life I spend in my brain. Um, If you're not like that, please take everything you hear and just use whatever you can. Um, if you are better learning the, the you know the stuff that we talk about through expressive dance or yoga or <laughs> I don't know American wrestling, please go for it. You know I I'm not hung up on positive psychology. I think I'm interested in people learning to unshackle themselves from from things which are really. manageable you know from things that we can really overcome that's a thing that I find that that that's my mission right I feel like we can overcome certain certain ways of treating ourselves we cannot overcome the fact that we will be rejected we cannot overcome the fact that that things suck and that we don't always get along with everyone but we can't overcome the fact that we feel it's necessary to hate ourselves or to feel empty all the time right so for me i think positive psychology is a great vehicle to do that but by all means, if you're more of a physical person or more of a, an experienced person, if you're someone who has to like have 300 relationships, um, you know, uh, serial or otherwise, I, I really don't care. All I want is is for you to be able to kind of get over the things that really hold you from using the potential that you have and to make your life and other people's life better. That's all. That's all. Another concept that I like is uh, the idea of a bank account. So learn to look at things such as building trust, invoking positive emotions, engaging with meaning, or building skills as good investments. Doing the opposite of those things removes money from your emotional or psychological bank account. And one one dollar, one unit, one gratitude letter, one um, one compliment, one whatever, is always better than zero. 
regularity is even better than that. Paying attention to worthy things also increases your psychological bank balance. Like with real money, there are countless reasons to not make deposits on our emotional skills or bank accounts. You know, it's the kind of like, you see all these cool things, why would you save it? Who knows if you're here tomorrow, right? But it's kind of the same idea with psychology. There are always a lot of reasons to not do the thing that will work out better in the long term. And we have to, we have to really um, ask ourselves what our ratio is, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense to do everything for the long term because we literally could die tomorrow. Um, but figuring out a good ratio, um, that is something that would be really helpful. So prioritizing your the things that are important to you, no matter what, helps us with getting psychologically rich. And finally, the idea of ownership. Taking responsibility gives us control and it sets us free to act. You know, when, when people say, oh, um, I, I have this because of my parents or because of this biological condition, all of those things are true and they have a place in explaining what is happening to you. But if you assign 100% of reasons why something is happening to you, to outside forces, you have 0% to make anything better. And that is why I'm such a big fan of really, I mean, limiting our attention to things that we can't control and not dwelling on them. Believe me, I had to learn that. I'm the natural dweller. I mean, there's a video of me as a kid, like six or four months old, just pondering stuff and like all other normal kids would be like wah, 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 and talking to their parents or try like babble to their parents not talking and smiling and looking around and doing stuff and I would just be there even then and like dwelling on stuff so so really believe me I had to learn this too but but it just makes no sense and you know even if we are 100% right in blaming other people um and there are instances where really it is other people's fault but Expecting them to change is not really how things usually work out. And that's why I like this idea of ownership of even if something is not my fault, even if I didn't necessarily do anything wrong, pretending that I am, you know, in control of most of it makes me, it forces me to look for solutions that I can implement instead of, you know, just doing what other people tell me to do or not doing anything. So yeah, those were the concepts. Let's go through them real quickly again. So that was the variety of realities that exist. So this idea that we, there's more than one reality. And if we don't live in ice one, we can rebuild it. The centrality of awareness mindset and how much it matters, valuing process over quick outcomes, working with what we have, the psychological bank account and ownership. I think if you take any of those concepts and look at whatever material you're interested in, be it in psychology or other self-development, I think those are valid starting points to get going on whatever challenge you have or whatever expansion you want to you want to make real all right so let's start with the questions and there are no 
particular order. And also, I haven't really given them a lot of thought, although I've seen them months ago for the first time because I wanted to answer on air. I think it's more spon- uh, spontaneous and more fun or not. Uh, it's also possible that some answers will be boring. So Amy T asked, if you were invisible for a week, what would you do? Um, I would be scared scared to find out what I would do if I were invisible. And the reason is that um, all the things I want to do in life uh, don't really require invisibility. So I think that if I were, I, I, I don't know, I just hope I will never be invisible for a week because I think that would just like <laughs> your 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 most base instincts would probably just come out or at least mine would i mean god knows what um what creepy or revengeful things i would get up to if i were invisible for a week um i cannot think of one thing <laughs> that that is legit you know like harry potter he really needed that invisibility cloak because he had all these people who didn't want him to leave the castle or didn't want him to find you know the horcrux or whatever and um those are all legit reasons to use it uh, i really don't have a single legit reason amy so uh I, I, I'm afraid I would do horrible things if I were invisible for a week. So let's uh, go to the next one. So Jürgen Hermein, and I'm saying his full name because he was looking forward to me messing up the pronunciation of that, um, wanted to know what was the trigger that made you start this podcast? I mean, like the drop that made the bucket overflow. Um, yeah, so I mean, I always knew that I wanted to do a podcast I mean, not always, but for, I'm not sure when that started, but I started listening to podcasts back in 2007. And I'm not entirely sure when I thought I want to do one of those, um, but it must have been quite a while ago. Uh, The drop that made it overflow was simply one night I was lying in bed and uh, it was three weeks before I had to submit my master thesis uh, for the positive psychology degree. And uh, I just got out of bed uh, wrote down a list of episodes that I would record with the Positive Psychology podcast, and it was eighty of them. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it, it basically it felt like uh, I imagine labor that just starts, and it doesn't care if it's three o'clock in the morning or not. Uh, it, it kind of felt like that, just more fun and less painful. Um, Celeste, so she needs no last name because she's like Madonna to the initiated who uh, engage on Facebook. Um, She asked, have you ever been the recipient of a random act of kindness? And the answer is probably yes, Celeste, but I very often don't know how random... Uh, the the kindness is or how intentional it is um, or how planned it is um, you know when I find money uh, somewhere I I never know if it, is it because someone was just forgetful or they were randomly kind I choose to believe they were randomly kind <laughs> but I don't know what I do know is that people have been purposefully kind to me so for example um yeah, the thing that comes to mind to me most, and maybe those of you who've listened to everything I've ever said have heard the story more than once, but it's basically uh, one night in South Africa where it turned out that the youth hostel uh, that I was supposed to sleep in didn't exist anymore, but they had just somehow taken my reservation money, but the hostel was not there anymore. 
Um, and then I ended up sleeping uh, with somebody at the, you know, bus company. She took me in. And um, that's what I think of as probably the kindness that got me out of one of the stickiest situations I've ever been in because I was in a township. And in South Africa, if you're in a township at night, uh, that can be okay in some places and very not okay in others. Uh, so yeah, that's what comes to mind. But of course, people are kind to me all the time. And uh, yeah, but I, I never know if it's random or if they're just good people. And if they intended it or not, I have no idea. Um, Amy again wants to know what's my guilty pleasure. Um, I don't have any. <laughs> and the reason is that I don't feel guilty about any of my pleasures. I, I don't, I don't have any, you know, uh, horribly transgressive desires. And the the desires I have, I feel are harmless enough so that I don't feel guilty about them at all. If you're asking about things like stupid television programs or something like that, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I have my, you know, random, random things that just kind of capture my mind. And uh, some of them are are not that productive. Uh, there was a time when I was embarrassingly uh, well aware of what was going on, you know, in, in the Kardashian family, for example. Um, there was a time when I used to read In Touch magazine uh, every Friday. Uh, those days are over now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't feel guilty. Like if I want an ice cream, I take it. Uh, now Christmas, uh, lots of good food. I said no to none of it. That's just, yeah, I don't feel guilty about these things. One more um, by Amy. If you could choose a superpower, what would it be and why? Um, uh, I mean, the, the, I, I really, if I think about it just objectively, the most selfish desire I've had the most in my life is to just be myself to bed. <laughs> like random times of the day, I would just love the idea to just beam myself out there and just disappear from wherever I am just to just to just to go to sleep. Um, but if, you know, some kind of random genie uh, would come to me and say, like, you could have a superpower, choose wisely, um, I would consider that other one. But probably I would feel I would need to take something more idealistic Um and I think it would probably have something to do with um, being able to kind of, I don't want to say manipulate, but just like make have a superpower that makes it that people who are usually not able to talk to each other that they could. I think that a lot of uh, issues we have if that is that everybody's screaming and not a lot of people are listening. So if uh, you had the, or I had the superpower to just kind of make people more likely to truly listen and to open up um, a little bit more, to become more vulnerable, more likely to share things, I, th I think that's uh, a superpower. Uh, I don't know, maybe we'll call it peacemaking <laughs> um, that I would like. Um, Dora T asks, is there a particular individual that inspires you and why? Um, yeah, uh, there are many people who I find inspirational. Uh, I'm not someone who's very prone to uh, hero worship because I think I think sometimes if we adore people a little bit too much, we can put uh, too much pressure on them. 
what do I mean? For example, I really love uh, Liz Gilbert, uh, the writer of Eat, Pray, Love. And I just love the way she sees life. Um, I hope that one day I can kind of convey, you know, that much light and warmth um, in, a, in such an original way. And I'm actually going to a workshop in, in London where I, you know, maybe I'll be lucky enough to speak to her for two minutes. And, and it's very important to me that I don't kind of just make it out to be like the best time. And because I, I like her too much that I would put that pressure on her. I really believe that she puts the best of her into her books and into her podcast and into um, the other material that she puts out. So I will allow her to be a regular human <laughs> when we meet. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of people um, who inspire me. There are musicians that, um, yeah, you know, I love Sting as a songwriter. Uh, I've loved Coldplay since uh, the year 2000, grown up with them. Um, they inspire me a lot. Um, of course, in positive psychology, there are people who I find super inspirational. I love um, how Ryan Nemec um, connects uh, areas which other people don't usually connect and show how they bring out positive psychology in a good way. Um, I, I really like a guy called Tim Ferriss. Um, he's, he's one of these people who kind of established the life design, lifestyle entrepreneur model. And, um, I, I really like, especially how he's changed in the last couple of years. He's become a little bit more deep in the, in the past. It used to be like how to make a lot of money fast. And, and now he's really into, you know, what's the good life. But in a very interesting way, I like how he values freedom um, to do things that are important. And the same goes for Chris Gillibo. So yeah, um, there are many more people I could talk about, and I actually will. <laughs> because David L. asked, if you could have dinner with any five people, dead or alive, who would they be and why? I find this question surprisingly hard, and the reason is that I feel so lucky to live in a time when information is so abundant that I'm not, you know, there are a lot of interesting people, but um, I mean, I just feel like we have access to their ideas in a way that no, nobody in history ever had. So, you know, would it be interesting to have a dinner with Erich Fromm, for example, um, he was a psychoanalyst, uh, philosopher, and he really has a way of thinking about things that I find super unique. And the answer is probably yes. But, um, you know, how, how many of his ideas um, has he not yet articulated for me that I can consume? So for me, with a lot of these people, I just feel like, well, yeah, it would be fun to meet Oscar Wilde, for example, seems like he's a hilarious guy, you know, but, or was, but I don't know, I find it hard. Um, I think I'd go with some boring answer, some of them, or like, you know what, now let's, let's, let's stick with that. So I think Erich Fromm would be interesting. Uh, Oscar Wilde would be interesting. Um, one of my grandparents, uh, my, I didn't, I didn't get to know any of my grandfathers, um, but because I didn't get to know them, I'm not sure if I would want to have dinner with them. That's the truth. I'm not, I don't know. But maybe my grandmother who died when I was 14, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, it would be nice to see her and to hear 
what she thinks of the crazy world that we're living in now. It would be would be interesting, I guess. Um, ah, who else? What else? Um, yeah, I mean, the ones I mentioned, Tim Ferriss, Liz Gilbert, would be cool. Um, maybe Satoshi Nakamoto, that's the uh, inventor of Bitcoin, and uh, some people believe it's a group. Uh, others uh, like to like the idea that a single genius started this, and I think um, his or her intellect would probably be a little bit much for me, but I'm just interested more. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't understand a thing that that person says, but I'd be interested in, you know, what is a person like who comes up with something that is so incredibly unique? Uh, so yeah, those would be my people. Um, yeah, sorry, David, I rambled a little bit, but it's a tough question. So... An easier one is from Michelle G, and she asked, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Um, Depends on the definition. Um, A lot of people think that an extrovert is someone who talks a lot in front of uh, people, and an introvert is someone who shuts up and hates interaction. And if you believe in that definition, then I'm an ambivert, which is square in the middle of those two. If, on the other hand, you look at, uh, you know, what introvert, uh, an introvert being someone who gets energy from being alone, and an extrovert as someone who recharges by hanging out with others, then I'm very, very clearly an introvert. Um, I love spending time with cool people, but if I don't spend a significant time uh, by myself, I'm, I feel frazzled and anxious, and um, if I spend people with other people, uh, time with other people, that's cool, but it's not my way of relaxing, let's put it that way. Um, Celeste says, what is something interesting about you that your post- podcast podcast listeners don't know? Gee, <laughs> believe me, if you've been blabbing into a microphone uh, for three or four years, um, <laughs> it's very hard to keep track of what you've said and what you haven't said on air. So if one of you hardcore people have heard any of the things that I'm about to say, I'm sorry and you have an amazing memory. Um, What's something you don't know about me? Okay, so I grew up adoring (laughs) TV from the 90s. Um, Yeah, well, end of 80s um, and beginning of the 90s. And as a kid, I was not into superheroes, but people like, you know, Michael Knight and MacGyver. (laughs) And uh, I would watch all these things, and I was not uh, aware of the fact that that's not how life is. I kind of thought that that's how grown-ups live, but I didn't quite put together the fact that my parents did none of those things. So I'm not sure what I thought, but you know, when I saw a MacGyver thing, uh, I, I just, you know, went into my room and tried to build the same flying machine, for example. There was an episode where he built some kind of flying machine with a, a linen and uh, some kind of ventilator, and I'm not sure what happened. Probably a lot of duct tape. He loved duct tape and a Swiss army knife. And uh, I I took our um, <laughs> our house, you know, the, the ventilator we had from the house, and I put our uh, a towel over it, and I tried to make a flying machine for myself, and I was very disappointed that that didn't work. And uh, I'm not sure who knows this, but very similar story with uh, a comic strip called Asterix and Obelix. Uh, 
they have a magic potion that makes you strong. And uh, I pestered my dad to to cook that potion for me. And he, you know, he just took advantage of that and made me eat things I usually wouldn't eat. <laughs> uh, like, like, you know, some kind of meat soup with, uh, uh, f- like, bone in it and stuff like that. I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, again, uh, there was a lot of disappointment. So we stop with the final question is a longer one from Gretchen. And she says, what positive psychology top topic do you like the most? Uh, What would you like to learn more about? And what are the best resources for learning more about positive psychology? Um, uh, Gretchen, I don't have any favorite topic. Um, I'm very practical uh, when it comes to positive psychology and also a lot of things in life in general. I think if, uh, if it helps people, then that's my favorite topic <laughs> at that moment. Um, yeah, I, I can't, you know, habits are always helpful. Um, but if you don't understand the overarching concepts of optimism or hope or looking at things that are actually worth doing stuff like um, purpose and meaning, spirituality, that kind of thing. Uh, these topics all need each other or otherwise I think um, they, they, they are limited in their use. So yeah, I, I'm sorry, I can't give you a great answer to that. Um, when you say, what would I like to learn more about? I think I'm really interested in how can you bring positive psychology to people um, in a way that they that they can benefit from it to people who usually wouldn't be interested in it in the first place, right? So, so it's wonderful to host a podcast um, for you know people who are interested in psychology and 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 they listen and they have the discipline to go through the archives. I mean, it's amazing, and I love it. And you know, I, I, of course, I wish that would be the only thing that I feel I need to do. But the truth of the matter is there are billions of people who have never heard of positive psychology. And I'm most interested in uh, what can I do or what can we do to not necessarily change that they know about positive psychology, but to change that these concepts become part of their life. That's what I'm interested in. And uh, you asked about resources and positive psychology. Um, Yeah, I think in the internet, I would point to positive psychology program. Uh, They really have a lot of comprehensive blog posts and PDF files. And there's a toolkit that you can um, that you can pay. You pay quite a bit, but then you can also use it for workshops and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's the resources I would uh, point people to. All right. So thanks for indulging and listening to the end thanks to to all the people amy and jürgen and celeste and dora and david and michelle and gretchen uh, for submitting the questions and thanks to all of you who've who've especially those who stuck with me throughout the years um there are a couple of people who started really early uh Mohammed comes to mind <laughs> and are still listening. So thanks a lot to all of you. Thanks also to people who are listening in places where it's maybe maybe not that easy to access podcasts. Um, there are some really cool countries um, on the list uh, where I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure not a lot of people around you listen to podcasts or make it easy to listen to podcasts. So thank you if you're listening in from a more 
exotic location. Thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for the people who go through archives and all of that. And um, yeah, so let me just read um, two or three reviews to finish this up and then we're, we're off. All right. So um, one says great podcast, but too many interviews. And that's from Anna on Stitcher. And um, this is interesting because I got the exact opposite message from some people who are like, great podcast, get more interviews, <laughs> because I find it hard to just listen to you. And um, yeah, thanks, Anna. I talked to the people in the group and the overwhelming consensus <laughs> was that um, it's SmackDown in the middle. People, most people like the mix as it is. And frankly, I do too. So those of you who don't like interviews, I'm afraid you'll have to skip them. And those of you who don't like just listening to me, I'm afraid you will have to just, in that case, skip those. Um, I have discovered this podcast around episode 30, as far as I remember, and binge listened to all the previous ones. Sorry, that was also still from Anna. Second one. Um, brilliant, useful to anyone by Apple Quattro or F04 from the USA. I'm a clinical social worker who has been trained in many things. Some of my trainings have lasted multiple years. Very, very few of the things I have learned have been so easily applied and so easily utilized by myself personally and in my work with clients. I treasure, treasure these podcasts. Thank you. I feel deeply appreciative and deeply impacted by them. Um, Apple Quattro 4, I... I mean, I, <laughs> I don't like to pick sides. There are a lot of, lot of reviews that I love to get, but, but the ones where people who are in positions where they help others um, talk about how they use it for themselves and others, I think those are some of the, my favorite uh, ones. And, um, you know, if you or other people in a similar position um, feel like you have ideas or you're a bit stuck on how to apply these ideas to your work, I'd be happy to do an episode about that. Um, also, if it's a specific one, you know, even if it's one for like, you know, positive psychology for people who are um, uh, vision impaired or whatever. I mean, th those are things that I'd be open to. So just so that you know. Um, then... Yuvan from the UK says, it's life-changing. Thank you so much for the podcast. It's helping me cope with bereavement and many other issues. Listening to you is like having a friend in the room who gives sound advice. Yuvan, I'm sorry for your loss, um, but I'm, I'm glad that, that you feel that I'm your friend. And I'm sure that if I would be around, I, I, I would hope to do just that. So I'm glad that, um, yeah, I can be there for you in this way. All right, so that's it for the 100th episode. Um, the 101st has already been recorded a couple of weeks ago, so the podcast is going nowhere in case you were worried. Some people were like, are you still continuing? Yes, I am continuing. <laughs> no worries. All right, cheers, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt. <laughs>